Let's go live with Jack Kelly. Welcome to the one-of-a-kind LinkedIn live show that will help you with your job search and advancing your career. We will bring in educated career experts who will share their insights and give you inside tips on how to be successful in your job search. Now let's get into today's show with your host, Jack Kelly. All right. We are live. We are live with Dimitri Mastakoa, the number one, is it fair to say number one executive recruiter for top attorneys, general counsels, associate general counsels in the world? Um, well, that's very kind. Thanks for having me on, Jack. Um, I don't know if I can live up to that billing, but I think <laughs> one of the best does that. Okay. We'll go with, we'll be, we'll be humble. Well, just one of the best, but up there. Up, up there. there. So, so Dimitri has extensive experience placing senior level attorneys. And uh, today he'll talk a little about what, what kind of work he does, the type of sectors he's in, and then also offer some career advice to people. And you don't have to be an attorney or, or you know, to benefit from this because some of this advice crosses all over. So maybe you could just talk a little about the kind of work you do. Sure, Jack, uh, it would be my pleasure. So I, um, I am a, uh, in essence, a legal recruiter. Uh, and for the last 15 years, I've been working at a firm called Major Lindsay in Africa, a large legal recruiting firm um, where I'm a partner. And my focus is and has been on placing attorneys into legal department positions. So these are uh, in-house counsel. In-house, so not law firms, but going in-house. Not law firms, but in-house. I mean, I do a little bit of a little bit of law firm work, but I would say ninety percent of what I do is is placing general counsels and their teams, so a, a GCs and in-house counsel uh, within a range of, of companies and industries, uh, with a focus, I would say, on the financial services space, uh, which is how my practice has evolved over time. So, and financial services would be broadly defined, very broadly defined, to include things like banks, corporate banks, investment banks, but also uh, asset management firms, alternative asset management firms, which would include private equity shops, hedge fund managers, family offices, uh, and the like. So it's a pretty fun practice. Um, and then outside of the financial services space, I'll dabble in life sciences, you know, pharma, tech, fintech, um, for example, um, just to name a few industries. So, so from all those areas, is there anything that's like super hot and others that are just very cold now? You know, it's interesting with, um, you know, in COVID times, how uh, things have shifted a little bit. Um, I would say, you know, financial services is, has actually weathered the storm pretty well um, with, uh, you know, many of, of our clients just transitioning to work from home mode fairly seamlessly. Um, but you know, I think we're, we're seeing a pickup in across all industries. Uh, financial services is doing pretty well. Uh, life sciences is doing well. Tech, tech has really um, hasn't skipped a beat. I would say, uh, other than kind of the initial kind of March, April shutdown and slowdown. Right. Um, but um, so I'd say those are the big areas where there's been activity. Um, you know, one of the things we have found though is. Um, there, there was a bit of a slowdown in activity in terms of our clients actually using the search firm, using either our search firm or other search firms. In the initial shock of the pandemic, everybody kind of tightened their belt and decided, you know, 
to the extent they were continuing to hire, they're going to try and do it on their own and save, you know, save some dollars. Um, again, that's beginning to shift back to a more normal stance where our clients are um, hiring search firms again and, and using us more and more. Um, what it's do you not. And that's a good sign, not, that, you know, not just for yourself, but just generally speaking, where it's kind of a loosening up, where it seemed to be getting like March, April, May. I, I saw the same thing here, where it's, first of all, they didn't know what to do, you know? So the, there's a lot of inertia just holding off. But now you start to see, well, this role has been open for a long time and we need some help because they're realizing, I, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but it almost feels like life is going on and which is good. So we got to start moving again. It, so it sounds that's what you're saying. It's a good sign. No, definitely. It's, it's, it's a good sign. Um, you know, one example, one of my clients actually outside of financial services, they're in the, in the home improvement space. You know, the general counsel is looking to grow her team and she has four, four open roles on her team where HR is, is, you know, looking for the, to fill those positions. But one of those roles um, is a more senior role where, you know, they kind of struck out kind of looking for the talent on their own and decided to hire us to do the search. So that's one search I'm, I'm working on. Um, but there's still this mix of, okay, they're using, they're using a search firm for one of the roles. They're handling the other ones on their own because again, they think they can handle it. They want to save a little, you know, save on some cost for, for, for the moment, but it is a good sign that they decide to, to use us, um, to, to help them on, on a more difficult, uh, opportunity. Are you finding out that from, from your clients and just in general, from speaking to people that on both sides of the equation, there's a bit of a reticence to move, not for everybody, but for a good segment of, Hey, if I have a job, I'm just going to keep my head down and stay there. And then for companies kind of, uh, we know we need somebody, but we're, there's so much uncertainty. Let's hold off. What, what, what's your sense of what happens? You know, there's, um, I think there's cross currents going on. So there's that, that's definitely something that I've, I've noticed, um, you know, reticence on both sides, you know, on the candidate side and on the hiring company, the hiring manager side. Uh, but what I've also seen is, you know, if there's a role that's mission critical to a company, it could be, um, you know, a niche role at a mid level, or it could be a very senior kind of C level role. You know, if it's mission critical, the hire has to happen. Um, otherwise, you know, it's detrimental to, to the company strategically. So those, those hires are taking place and those processes are taking place. What's interesting is, you know, the, the interview processes are almost completely virtual and yeah. the onboarding is virtual. So you, you get, you go, go from start to finish and you get to offer an acceptance and then onboarding with a start date where the candidate hasn't met anyone in person hasn't so seen the office space, hasn't, you know, he or she hasn't shaken his, his, his boss's hand. Um, and the hire is, and onboarding is virtual. And, and, and you know, the first few months of the job uh, is virtual where the, you know, the new hire is trying to establish relationships internally. Again, it's all being done over Zoom and, you know, WebEx or whatever. Um, so what you're saying is, is once I don't mean to interrupt, I just want to, so when you, even when they start, they're starting at home at first. Correct. That, Correct. And in many cases, so I, I can set an example of, of someone I placed in a large financial services firm. Um, in, in the Midwest, the, the interview process wrapped up, I would say, in February before the pandemic hit. 
um, offer an acceptance. Start date was in May. Um, so within the pandemic, the candidate had to relocate from New York City to the Midwest with children in school in the middle of a pandemic, start this new role completely virtually, and to this day, it continues to work virtually. So has been onboarded virtually, uh, and the first four or five months has been virtual. Uh, and it's That's a pretty, so pretty senior level in-house counsel. So number one, kudos to you for making that happen, because I can tell from firsthand experience, I know, number one, it's not easy to get people to relocate. And it's not easy to get people to relocate to the Midwest. Midwest is beautiful, but it's it's if you're a kind of an East Coast or West Coast person, it's hard to get them to move with their kids during COVID. That's it's amazing. Kids and spouse and, and, and that's so, that's yeah. it's so hard to do. But here's what I don't understand too, is that and I've written a lot about this right before is this, this whole work from home, work from remote, and what baffles me is that you know. Every, Let's say you have Google, you have Facebook, all these Twitter saying you're going to work from home to at least 2021, Twitter, hey, forever. But then when it comes time to like your placement, okay, you have to come here. I, it, I, can you, I can't really connect those things. You would think a company would say, okay, you know what? You don't have to relocate your whole family here. You can work remote and give that a shot. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think it depends on the industry and, and how um, how traditionally, for lack of a better term, old school the yeah, industry yeah. is. So I think in tech, there's a much more of an openness to maintain kind of a work from home stance uh, fairly indefinitely, or you know, over the course of the next year or two. Uh, in other industries, it's more like okay, uh, as soon as there's a vaccine, you know, we're going to come back to a modified um, kind of in-office schedule um, with some flexibility. So I can easily see how in kind of big bulge bracket investment banks, you know, a JP Morgan or a Goldman or Morgan Stanley in New York, when things, you know, when there's work on the other side of the pandemic, they're going to want most people to return to work to the office, most people. But I think- because you mentioned JP, because you, you mentioned JP Morgan, well, they, what was it, last two months ago? I'm losing track of, you, know, you have no idea what month or time it is in COVID time. But JP Morgan, I'll say a few months ago, said, hey, we want everyone to come back. Oh, yeah, it was September, end of September. Yeah. And somebody on the trading desk got COVID and they sent everybody back again. So you could tell they wanted, they desperately wanted to bring everybody back. They did. And if it they wasn't did. for that, now I'm not sure where they stand today. But, and then maybe that's to your point, is that like with these old, quote unquote, old school, I don't want to say stodgy, but you know what I mean? Like these Older school, I guess more, yeah. I guess the more traditional industry yeah. where I guess it was always viewed that a face time in the office had value in terms of maintaining culture, building relationships. And, and you know what, those, those things are still very important. And, you know, how, and that, that's a bigger question. How do you, how do you maintain a culture yeah. and establish and maintain, you know, those inter-office relationships in a work from home world. Um, that's a big question that a lot of you know our our clients are grappling with. We actually as a as a search firm are dealing with that ourselves. And um, you know there are no easy answers uh, about that. Um, working from home is great, but don't get me wrong, I, I, I really enjoy it. Um, but there is something to be said for the kind of the, the camaraderie, the, the the relationships that can only be built 
uh, in a company face-to-face in person, at least a few days a week. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over time. For the attorneys you place, I would imagine, I don't know enough about it, but I imagine the work they do, they do need to be in touch with different people, right? That you want to go to the trading floor if there's an issue. Yeah. I mean, again, it depends on the industry and the role, but you know, for the most part, most general counsels and in-house counsels like to be um, kind of walk, they kind of manage by walking the hallways. Yeah. So, and they like to you know, not only managing their own teams, but also their internal clients and being of service to them. So it's just easier to kind of walk down the hallway, poke your head in, hey, you know, how's it going? You know, how's this going? How's it going with that transaction? Or, you know, let's talk about that regulatory issue, doing it face to face. You know, there's something, there's value to that. Um, and so not being able to do that and having to rely on, you know, video chat platforms, take something away from, from, from that. Um, you can still do it. Um, it's less effective. Yeah. And you've got to, you know, I think you're losing something. And, um, and I think in the legal space, in-house counsel, um, they like to, you know, one of the reasons people go in-house is to get closer to the business. You know, I hear this all the time from lawyers who are in private practice, whether they're associates of big law firms or partners. You know, the, the reason they want to go practice, uh, go in-house is to, um, to work with one client, to be part of a, a business team, to partner with the business. And, and part of that is actually being with them physically um, down the hallway or, you know, or up you know, one floor on, on kind of the elevator blank or, or down one floor, but within easy access physically. And so you're losing a little bit of that. And um, uh, so, you know, during the pandemic, and it, it'll be interesting to see how things, to what extent things go back to normal. Yeah. Now, how about yourself? Do, do, are you, are you, is your company working from home or a combination? Yeah, we have. I mean, so I haven't been, I haven't been to New York you know, my office in New York City since March, since March, the second week of March. And um, our office opened up, reopened in September voluntarily and remains open again for, for folks who want to um, attend, but it's, it's on a voluntary basis. Nobody's Just curious, like what percentage go back? It's a, a pretty small percentage small, of yeah. folks that actually live live in Manhattan, I would imagine. So. I live, I'm a long distance commuter. So um, uh, until things really get back to normal, I'm not you know, commuting two hours each way to get to, yeah. to the city. Not having a commute is very nice, right? Yeah, that's one of the upsides of, of COVID times is yeah. not, not, not having to commute. And um, yeah. I mean, you and I are blessed doing what we do because this is a job and a career and a vocation that lends itself really well to um to this platform to being able to it's so true because there's so many people who don't have that luxury because imagine if you're a kind of a you know essential type of worker who has to be in a factory in a fulfillment center and what have you and then the schools are closed and you have i can't even imagine the difficulties and challenges that have to juggle all that i mean it's it's um yeah no it's mind-boggling just the, the thought of you know having a being in a household where one or both uh, parents are essential workers and they've got kids um, who are working remote, who are in school remotely now. And, and the person, I don't know, it, it's just, it's really, really challenging. 
And so I'm um, very mindful of that. Um, I'm very grateful for kind of the role that I'm in, you know, the career that I'm in now. And I always, when I'm speaking with candidates, you know, in-house counsel who may be, you know, griping about a job change or, you know, not being satisfied with where they are, I say, hey, I hear you, but, you know, let's also take a step back and, and be grateful for being able to, to, to be employed uh, right now uh, and to do what we do or as, as an in-house counsel to do what you do remotely because, you know, not everyone has that, that ability. And so, um, and so I like to keep the, you know, the more unfortunate people in mind in terms of the, the ones who are really suffering through the pandemic. And for this, and the, the roles you work on from, you know, from financial services, life sciences, um, any, any one stand out that you, that you see is like, hey, this area, if you're, um, whether a young up and coming lawyer or seasoned pro can say, hey, if you have, you know, if you really want to turbocharge your career, go you know, get involved with SPACs or go to a crypto exchange or, you know, yeah. work on something for vaccines. I mean, do you get a sense of like what, what you recommend? To I mean, I, I'm being a financial services guy, I'm, I'm pretty partial to anything having to do with finance or financial yeah. services, but what I'm seeing, you know, the growth area right now seems to be um, FinTech, you know, financial technology. So like, which is really, uh, I guess, broadly defined, um, you know, it could be something like a PayPal, or it could be uh, a cryptocurrency exchange um, to anything in between. So financial technology is a growing and burgeoning field. Um, we're not seeing a ton of hiring, again, uh, through us, through companies that are hiring us as a search firm. I think in part because many of the players are smaller and kind of startup-y in nature and can't afford to use a search firm yet. Uh, but I am seeing you know, job postings, like I, I kind of monitor job postings just to set a pulse of the marketplace from time to time. And I can see that there's hiring activity in FinTech. Um, you know, the other area that I think is going to be a growth um, uh, area is uh, digital assets, digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, and anything having to do with, with blockchain technology. So that, I think digital assets um, are going to revolutionize finance and banking over the next five to 10 years. And with that um, will come obviously uh, regulation, you know, uh, and therefore legal issues and compliance issues and thus hiring uh, in-house counsel and compliance professionals in those areas. No, it is my bold, that's my bold prediction. But you know what it's, it's and they push back on regulations. So like the crypto world claims, all right, we're like, we're the autonomous zone. You can't touch us. We can do our own thing. So I guess you're saying eventually the Fed, the SEC, others are going to find, and I guess when it comes to a certain size, they have no choice but to say, hey, we got to watch over what the heck's going on there. Absolutely. And I think, you know, crypto purists will scream at me for saying this, but you really want that. You, you do want some level of regulation because Otherwise, the market will not be able to attract institutional you know, yeah. institutions to invest, institutional investors. Um, and you know, if, if you want the space to become um, more accepted and, and have a wide acceptance worldwide, you have to have some structure, some regulation. Um, and with that, you know, you know, you'll have the trust of kind of the big players to come in. Um, they'll feel 
that there's a there's an imprint, there's a legal yeah. compliance. I think it has to be watched over. Whoever watches this who's in the crypto space, I'm going to get lots of hate tweets and death threats and what have you. But it's we I I you know crypto except I think for the last few days where I think last week I'm losing again losing track of time sold off a bit, but you saw kind of a, a nice run up in in Bitcoin, and before that for the last few months. On social media, all you see is it's getting ready to go. It's getting ready to go. It's going higher. And I'm thinking, you know, for a guy who places compliance people, wait a minute. What, like you're just hyping this stuff. It's there's what's the PE value of something? What's why is it going higher? What's the research on it? Except for like it's going higher, buy it. So to me, how could you not have regulators say, wait, 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 what's going on here? How are you selling this? How are you marketing this? Is it appropriate? So I agree with you. I don't see I don't see how they didn't do it already. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's going to happen. It's happening, but whether whether the uh, the crypto, you know, maximalists as they call themselves, you know, like it or not, it's going to happen, and yeah. and I think they should welcome it because it will only lead to greater acceptance and wider, uh, kind of wider acceptance worldwide, which will benefit everyone, and um, so um, and I think. You know, selfishly, it'll you know for me and you, it, it will lead to hiring. You know, legal hiring, in-house counsel hiring, compliance professional hiring, CCOs, and the like. Um, uh, as the the companies and service providers to the space, whether they're exchanges, they're you know, in a, uh, kind of decentralized finance companies, etc., begin to proliferate. So it's going to be a really interesting market to watch develop. You know, and I do find. What with the fintech and these kind of, you know, emerging tech-oriented financial services, they tend to hire a lot of young people. And if you, if you ever want to try this out, it's like cringy. If you go to their career sites, you'll see, you know, thirty people there, all big smiles. No one looks uh, over thirty-five. Right. <laughs> you know, wearing t-shirts, beanies, and. And then, and then there's always a token guy like you or me who has a little gray hair, you know, being a little older and that's it. And, and then you see, yeah, you read the job descriptions and you think, oh, this is senior level role. Then you realize, oh no, it's like an associate. So it does tend to hire, they tend to hire like a lot of young people. I guess the idea is let's get young, smart people and let yeah. them run and that's it. I mean, nothing wrong with that, but I think yeah. a lot of these companies ultimately will want to hire one or two adults in the room. Yeah. Uh, you know, so to speak, uh, whether that's at the uh, general counsel level, chief compliance officer level, or some control area, uh, maybe it's on the risk side, um, or maybe it's on the operations of kind of a chief operating officer, just to like tend to the flock, so to speak. <laughs> right? So to watch over a little bit, have, yeah. have a little, well, you do need that. You do kind of need like somebody who has some long-term history. Because imagine if you're a trader. And perspective. Right, think about it. Let's just take a regular trader. We talk about JP Morgan, right? Like a regular person on the trading desk who is, I don't know, 30 or whatever. They didn't see like what they don't know, like stocks could go down and things could right. fall apart. You know, you need that perspective to say, well, I've seen 1987, I'd see 2001, the dot com boom and bust, the after effects of 9 11, the financial crisis. You know, you and that's value to have somebody who could bring that to the table. Yeah. And, and, um, it is value. It's perspective, and it's it's and it's wisdom, and um, you do need that because 
a, a lot of market participants and people in the you know employed in the marketplace, especially in the finance space. You know, they haven't really gone through that type of experience, like a real downturn. Um, yeah, but you know, I'm going to now co contradict myself because then there's a certain value too if you have someone who's younger who didn't, and they're not afraid of anything because they don't know things can go wrong. And, and sometimes you need that, right? You need people who are just going to go jump headlong into the deep end of the pool and, and that's it and have that. Yeah, I guess a certain amount of fearlessness <laughs> is always, it's not a bad thing. Um, but uh, yeah, and it, you want, you need to temper that a little bit. It's got to be calculated risk. Yeah. So you see, okay, so you see like the, the you know, crypto kind of world is something to take a look at for people. And I, I would imagine this advice goes not only for attorneys, but for you know, other folks who are looking, hey, what's a fast moving growth area that I could kind of, you know, migrate my career towards? So FinTech seems, you know, growing, the whole crypto chain, uh, cryptocurrency exchanges, um, uh, the blockchain. So you can kind of navigate your career in those directions to kind of tap into something where there's growth. Because then when there's growth, there's jobs and there's opportunities. Exactly right. And then, you know, tech, I don't see technology going away or slowing down. So, um, and I, you know, I would never want to, you know, bet against the kind of the, the technology in, yeah. in America. So, uh, and whether that's kind of, you know, software or in the cloud technologies, but uh, I think we've got the smartest people in the world, you know, working in the United States um, and, and the, the best innovators of, and there's, you know, there's incredible pools of venture capital backing up, you know, very smart ideas that uh, end up becoming, um, you know, multi-billion dollar, you know, market cap tech companies. And so, um, you know, for somebody beginning their career, I would, you know, suggest or recommend that they think about, okay, who, who's the, who's the Google of the next decade? You know, who's going to be the Amazon of the 2030s? Um, uh, you know, kind of think ahead uh, and try to anticipate uh, where technology is headed, where the needs going to be, and um, uh, and try and position yourself and, and try to keep an eye out for opportunities. And just even as a as a side hobby, just keep track of trends, uh, tech trends, and um, and and then you know you begin to identify emerging companies that are leaders in their emerging spaces. And then you keep an eye on that and, and watch them grow. And then, you know, you, you get ideas from doing that and you kind of you get into the mindset of kind of having this watch list of emerging tech uh, star, rising stars, whether unicorns for, for lack of a better term. And um, you kind of get ideas about where, you know, where to go next or where the, ne the, the opportunities are gonna come from over the next you know, two, five, ten years. So interesting. So I, I thought you might say, "Hey, take a look at Apple, Google, Amazon." But I like where you're going. It's 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 more of, "Hey, these are now very mature, you know, giants. Take a look. What's what's the next crop? What's the next up and comers? And try to hit your wagon to those folks, right? To find. Now, how at would least, you do that? At least keep an eye on keep an eye on the up and comers. And there's nothing wrong with the Apples and Googles of the world. They're very stable companies, very successful. But you also want to keep, like, while you're, you may be working at one um, or a company like that. But it's it's a good idea 
it, it's never a great idea to, to keep, kind of keep your head down, even if you're super happy in your role. And I see that a lot with candidates I, I work with. They're very happy where they are. They're kind of head down people doing their job. But while they, they got their head down busy with the role, uh, you know, you know, years go by, they're not really networking in the marketplace, not keeping up the networks, and they're not really keeping an eye on these trends. And so then what happens is five, six, seven years into the job, something happens, a corporate event, maybe a bankruptcy, a merger, they get merged out of a job, and now they're looking, and they haven't kept up their networking, they haven't really stayed on top of trends, and then they call, they call their friendly legal recruiter for help. Um, and then you've got to have a conversation with them about, okay, this is, what have you been doing? Okay, if you haven't been networking, you've got to start now, you know, you know, rebuild that network, keep your eyes and ears to the ground, um, and a variety of other different things. But there shouldn't, it shouldn't have to come to that. I think people, you know, one piece of advice I always give to everyone is um, you, you, you want to be networking all the time, even if you're super happy and satisfied and content. You want to know, you want to know, you want to stay in touch with your own network, with your network of contacts um, and advisors, uh, but also you want to keep your ears to the ground in terms of opportunities, even if it, even if only to be able to refer other people to them. So keep up with your networks, stay on top of opportunities, um, keep your eye out, out for trends and emerging companies, and, um, and obviously focus on, on the job that's in front of you. But you want to be thinking long term all the time. Like you, you got the short game right in front of you, but you also have to be thinking about the long game um, and your career. So all of you know, that's all prudent career management as far as I'm concerned. And uh, some people don't do it very, very well. So it's uh, it's really good advice. So for the net the networking makes sense in terms of keeping up, like for emerging trends. Is that just a case of just reading a lot, or how how would you suggest for people just yeah, I mean, everyone's going to have, I would say, everyone has interests, mm -hmm. you know, that, that tug at them. So people need to pay attention to that, to, to where their intuition is kind of leading them or where they have, they have a certain affinity. So if they have an affinity for an area, uh, yeah, do, do some reading, you know, do some Googling, uh, figure out, you know, what publication to read or what, you know, uh, uh, a blog to be following or podcast to listen to and, and make some time every week. Maybe it's an hour a week just to stay on top of things of kind of your area of interest. And once you begin doing that, it builds on, it kind of, it builds momentum in and of itself by, by putting the time and effort and focus into it. And before you know it, you do kind of become an expert in a certain area kind of outside of your regular yeah. job. And, um, and then, you know, by virtue of focusing and kind of putting your attention there, and things, it, it's kind of like when you're, you want to buy a new car and you've got your, your eye on, a, I don't know, a red BMW 3 Series. Uh, not that there are many of those around, but once you focus on something, then you'll notice those red BMWs on the road all the time. All the time. All the time. They were always there. Okay, but you didn't notice them. Isn't that a weird phenomenon? You didn't focus, yeah. But so same thing with when you focus on an interest, begin to show that interest some attention, and then like the knowledge will come to you, like the, the tips and leads and the 
the ideas about which blog to follow or which LinkedIn person to follow, or maybe it's a Twitter account or, or whatever piece of media, um, it'll kind of come to you because you're putting focus and attention there and you're telling your mind, okay, this interests me. Your mind will reciprocate by showing you things that are of interest to you and things that were always there, but you've never paid attention to. So that's what you should be doing. It's like you're building the algorithm that you get on Netflix or YouTube. Seriously, right? Where yeah. you watch something and then it shows you more of that. You watch something that shows some more. It's the same thing. Let's say you're, you know, somebody say, hey, who watches this? And, and you know what? Let me, I don't know much about FinTech. I don't know about the crypto space or blockchain. Let me check into it. Then they start checking into it. And then before you know it, <laughs> they're knee deep in it. And then they're just you know, absorbing all this information. And all of a sudden they realize, oh my gosh, there's a whole new world that just opened up for me and I didn't know existed. And then to take a step back, I see, I like, I, I think I like where you're going with this. So it sounds like what you're saying to people is this, a lot of folks wait till you get a tap on the shoulder and you lose your job or your job's in jeopardy because as you met maybe a bankruptcy or some change of fortune, and then you scurry. But instead right. of doing that, if you have, you know, the luxury now to start, to start networking, get out there and meet people, especially now, there's so many online things to do. I mean, you pick a field, a niche, there's, I guarantee within a Google search, you're going to find 10 different, you know, meetups online that you can attend and learn it. And the amount of information uh, at our fingertips is incredible. It, it's all there for the looking. And so if, if you're you know, if you want to build a, a little sideline expertise in a niche area, you can do so. And it doesn't have to take a ton of time. It just takes, it actually takes a little bit, of, it takes focus and consistency. It could be an hour a week, but if, or, or maybe, you know, 15 minutes a day. But if you do that over time consistently, it's like the compound effect. It, it, it really, or compound interest, like it, it builds over time significantly. So you can become an expert in, a, in an area very, very quickly over like a six to 12 month period of just kind of staying on top of things 15 minutes a day or maybe a couple of hours a week. And so that's just staying on top of an interest, you know, maybe emerging trends. But the same thing applies to, uh, to networking and staying in touch with uh, people that uh, might eventually be useful in a job search in five years. Because um, like you said, you don't want to be that person who, you know, seven years into a job, gets tapped on the shoulder yeah. and gets a pink slip, and then you're scrambling, you're calling recruiters, and you're, you're kind of trolling uh, job websites, and you really don't know what to do. And you don't have anyone to call because you haven't been networking. You want to, you need to be proactive and manage your career a little bit better than that which means trying to anticipate things, even when things are going great, especially when things are going. That's when you need to do it most. When things are going well and you're confident, you're feeling good. Exactly and, right. Yeah. And Dimitri, a lot of people feel better when they hear networking, they just like withdraw, they feel icky, you know, they feel cringy. What, what would you suggest to a person who feels that way? Let's say someone's an introvert. Mm -hmm. Is there a way that people may reach out to you that you feel, oh, that's really, that's smart. That's good. I, I like the way they handle that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm a bit of an introvert. And so, um, so I, I sympathize uh, <laughs> with, with people who are, and uh, it's not easy to reach out or, you know, uh, whether in pre COVID times, if you're at a, whatever, a cocktail party and 
or at some kind of business, you know, a, 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 a business networking event, you know, it's tough for people to, or for some people, for introverts to kind of introduce themselves. And, um, uh, but in, I think in COVID times and beyond, um, it's not that difficult to make introductions or to introduce yourself uh, using tools such as uh, LinkedIn, for example. So I'm a huge LinkedIn fan, uh, evangelist, if you like. And you know there are very simple strategies you can use to build a network on LinkedIn um, to introduce yourself to people that you may want to get to know, who might be useful, who, who have a knowledge base that you could leverage. Um, so I would encourage everyone who is um, in the job market or even just happy where they are, if they don't have a LinkedIn profile, go out and get one. Um, it's free, it's powerful, um, and begin connecting with people. And you can begin connecting with people in your own warm market, people that you know. It kind of becomes your contact list that self-adjusts over time. And begin there, begin with people you know, your, your people you went to school with, people who you work with, people who you used to work with, and then kind of broad, like start with people you're very comfortable with, and then kind of expand, it's like concentric circles, expand it out a notch, and then maybe one degree of separation from that one market and begin to connect with some of those people. Um, Post pandemic, you can maybe invite them for a cup of coffee and, and, and uh, get to know, know them that way. Ask them what they do, if they have any advice on how to manage a career, how to network, uh, what have you. Start there. So take it kind of baby steps and kind of move out in those concentric circles to further degrees of separation and, um, and just do it gradually over time. So do you think it could, it's not too forward if they would just say, hey, Jack, someone sends it to you know, me or to you saying, hey, I'd like to you know, speak with you, learn how to navigate, navigate my career. It's okay to be that forthright and just boom, put it out there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I respect, like I, I get obviously, as you can imagine, a, a lot of um, people reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, the, ones, the ones I respect the most are the ones who are very succinct and direct with their ask. Yeah. You know, uh, kind of act like ask for something, be clear about it, uh, and succinct, and and maybe you'll get a response. Um, so there's that. The other thing I would say is, you know, I think rule number one of networking is it's a reciprocal process. So you want to be, you know, if you're asking for your back to be scratched, you should offer to scratch that person back too. So it's always a two way street. Um, and I tell introverts this as well is don't forget, you know, when you're reaching out to people, whether it's on LinkedIn or over the phone, asking them for, you know, to, to meet you for a cup of coffee, um, obviously be very respectful and grateful for the time, but do what you can to help them. Ask the person that who's helping you, ask them, hey, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Is there anything I can do uh, in any way that can help you in your business, in your uh, industry, because um, you just never know. You may be able to help that person as well. So that reciprocity is really, really important. Uh, and just to keep that in mind. All right. Just to go on a tangent, sure. we're talking about LinkedIn. What are the wait, what are the reasons I, I've noticed you, found you on LinkedIn? Is every day you post 
something always so smart, so insightful. And for the folks who are watching now, probably not gonna know because you, you may or may not have seen that he posed these things, but they're, they're awesome. You know, I always feel smarter after reading them. So what's, if you don't mind, like, what's your strategy? Why do you do it? What's the goal? Yeah, so I post, um, I used to post every, like every day of the week um, during the early days of the pandemic. Now I, I, my, my, my cadence is Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings. I post, uh, I'll do a post on something that really doesn't have anything to do with recruiting per se. It's more of a personal development topic. Maybe it's a productivity tip. Um, maybe some bit of wisdom that I picked up in some book that I've read, but it tends to be of a personal development nature or self. And that's a bit right. Personal development. Yeah. That's a, that's personal a what you're saying. And so, yeah. you know, it's something that I've, I've been passionate about for the last 30 years. I've always been a personal development guy. So two years old, you were person into personal development. Yeah. yeah from, yeah. From that's the amazing. Two, right. Exactly. Um, no, I would say from gosh, my early twenties, um, so I've constantly had my head in, you know, personal development books and you know, philosophy, productivity. And so I don't know when it was, maybe it was late last year. I just decided to start posting uh, daily or at least uh, three times a week um, on topics of interest to humankind. So I'm all about helping people um, kind of use or um, develop their potential more than they already are. Because I think each of us um, has uh, kind of vast reservoirs of untapped potential. Uh, even the most accomplished among us, uh, uh, you know, you never get there. Uh, potential is always kind of off in the distance. And so it's a constant process of evolution um, on a day-to-day -day basis. You can be a little bit better than you were the day before. So I'm all about helping people see that in themselves. And, uh, and I like sharing tidbits and ideas, whether it's kind of big picture strategies or very tactical kind of daily tips and practices on how to do that. And so, um, which again, has nothing really directly to do with my job, my day job as a, as a legal yeah. recruiter, but it kind of, um, I don't know, it's kind of my way of getting, getting back, if you like. Did you get a lot of people give feedback about it? Or ask for certain things. Yeah, no, I get I get wonderful feedback. So people, you know, I get uh, instant messages um, all the time, just thanking me for the posts and for sharing those ideas on whether it's um, uh, you know productivity tips or stoicism or uh, how to kind of be your best self or your better self uh, or how to eliminate distractions and focus better uh, on on the very important things. Um, so. Uh, no, the feedback's been really great. And, yeah. uh, you know, and this is just a little inside baseball question. Do you find as a recruiter that people won't comment as much when you do other things because they don't want to be, they don't want to blow up their spot and have their boss say, hey, Jack, why are you connecting? Why are you going back and forth, Dimitri? Is there something I should know? Yeah, it's interesting. That? You know, in the early, earlier days of LinkedIn, I would say five, six, maybe 10 years ago, um, I would invite candidates to link up with me on LinkedIn, like connect with me. And there was, you know, half of the time, or maybe a third of the time, there was reluctance. Oh, I can't do that. My back that. then, 
Right. Wasn't it back then that if I linked into you, it would show that I linked into you? Am I misremembering? I think it was it was public, and people could like your colleagues and bosses, I guess, could see that you you had connected with the recruiter. Yes. Uh, but I would also, but I think that the the option to make the connections private was also available way back when. I know that's an option now. You don't have to make the connections public. You just you can go in your settings and with, with one click make your connections private. Um, but I don't, I don't get that reluctance anymore. Most people realize that having a LinkedIn presence doesn't mean that you're looking for a job or you're looking to leave your job. It's really a kind of broad networking tool and social media platform. So Okay, so my excuse that I'm not getting a lot of action is, is I, I can't blame it on that. It's just my- No, life. I wouldn't blame it on that. I, mean, I think people are busy um, and, and, and getting engagement in terms of comments it's hard. I mean, you've got to you've got to be particularly witty one day, or or kind of be, you know, talking about something that's um, just rubs people in a way that that you know uh, provokes them to to want to comment, whether it's a you know a positive provocation or a negative one. Uh, it's almost like if you you've got to say something pretty outrageous to get a response. See, it's interesting, especially on other platforms. The, you know, Facebook, Twitter, oh my gosh, if you're not saying anything really inflammatory, you just don't get noticed at all. Do, do, you, do you use any other platforms in recruiting or, or it's really LinkedIn? I'd say LinkedIn is, is, is my primary platform yeah. for recruiting and, and kind of brand building. I have a, a Twitter account, but it, it's, I don't really use it much um, uh, for, for my business. So I'd say LinkedIn is, is the, the primary one. Um, hey, can I just run a few? I got a few questions that came in. Is all right if I run some? They're, they're, they're straightforward. I don't want to give this guy's name because I don't want, just in case, even though he gave it, I don't want to get him in trouble. But he's looking for a council role in financial services in St. Louis. Uh, is, so come again, a financial services seat where? Yeah, and I'll, I'll, after this, I'll give you his, you know, his name in private. I don't want to, like I said, blow up his spot in case he left it. didn't think it through. Uh, so he's looking for a council role in financial services in St. Louis. Okay. Are you seeing any roles out, out there? Uh, I am not currently. Uh, my focus tends to be kind of New York City and the greater New York City metro area. But we, you know, our firm has, you know, we have a practice in the Midwest. Uh, I guess if St. Louis would be covered by our Chicago office. Um, so I would invite him or her to, um, to visit our website uh, at mlaglobal.com. And there's a career opportunities page, you know, legal careers. And we have all of our positions posted there. So you can take a look there to see whether we've got anything going on in St. Louis. As far as I know, as far as I can remember, I don't think so, but that can change anytime. Have, I think you have Stiefel Nicholas out there, right? Stiefel's out, there. Um, out there. There's some, there's some uh, broker dealers in yeah. St. Louis and there's some money management firms in St. Louis, so. See, that's a hard part too. When people relocate, if you relocate to a place that doesn't have many other similar firms. That's a big risk you're taking, right? Because you can relocate. And, and, and that's, you know, that's the, that's what I found is a big issue trying to get a New Yorker, especially a New Yorker in financial services to relocate yeah. to another city is, you know, the job may be fantastic. Let's say, I don't know, it's a job in Atlanta um, uh, and with a kind of a money management firm in Atlanta. But if things don't work out in that role, then that person feels like they might be stuck uh, in terms of limited options in Atlanta for other similar roles. And so, um, and then they will find themselves having to return to New York, New York City. So 
that's, you know, that's always been a challenge. I think now, you know, during the pandemic and we'll see it, we'll see how things change afterward, but many more of our clients are open to remote only positions. That's been one of the big changes I've seen this year is kind of the, um, there's been a bit of a proliferation of roles that are remote only. So it could be a, you know, a company in, you know, based in Boston, uh, looking for a, you know, a head of a director of compliance, or maybe even a general counsel. And they're open to having that person sitting anywhere, uh, not necessarily in Boston. So that opens up uh, kind of a universe of additional candidates for the company uh, of talented people who could be sitting in Chicago, in Seattle, in San Francisco, or uh, I don't know, Miami, uh, who might be qualified, not necessarily interested in moving to Boston, but really interesting, really interested in the job and the company and able to work remotely and maybe with, uh, you know, flying to the Boston headquarters once a quarter or something like that. Uh, they'd be very open. Is that so. such a game changer, Dimitri, if that happens? For both the companies and for the job seekers, because a job seeker, that means, let's say you're in, a, um, I don't know, like Idaho, but right. you really want to work in some like really cool tech or, or Wall Street kind of company, you know, it wouldn't be feasible for the most part. Now, presumably it could be. Now, now it's, it it's probably more feasible than it, than it was before. I mean, yeah. for somebody sitting in Idaho with dreams of working in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, maybe you know, pre 2020, that wasn't really a practical possibility. Today, it actually is a practical possibility. And it could be even a, a realistic one because many firms in Silicon Valley, tech firms will hire somebody to work remote only and not just for kind of junior and mid-level roles, even for senior level roles. So, and again, not just in legal, but across the board, it could be yeah. financed. It could be Do you think it could be backlash too, Dimitri? So let's say one of your clients might say, hey, you know what, get us, let's say they're based in San Francisco, but they may say, get us someone, I don't care, Montana, Wyoming, get the best person, but pay them Montana rates, you know, uh, you know, South Dakota rates, which is way less than you pay someone right. in San Francisco. And then all of a sudden they're arbitraging the whole hiring thing by finding, you know, smart people, capable people, but they never would have had the opportunity to work in Silicon Valley or San Francisco, but now they can remotely. Do you think yeah, I think you're going to see some of that. I think some companies will, will engage in that, in that type of arbitrage because again, you know, if you have a really smart person and capable in, uh, I don't know, sitting in, in South Dakota with that cost of living for a role, you know, where in, in I don't know, Silicon Valley, where, you know, the, the cost of living is, is six, six X what it is in, in South Dakota, you know, why would, it, it'd be very difficult to, to justify paying the candidate uh, kind of Silicon, on a Silicon Valley pay scale if that person isn't really, um, doesn't have to uh, kind of have the, the, those cost of living issues. So I think there's, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but I can't imagine it wouldn't have an impact in terms of lowering the cost of, of, of that talent, especially if that person's gonna be able to, to, to stay in, in the Midwest or the Plains states or wherever, much lower cost of living jurisdictions. I'll, I'll because I'm looking at the time, wow, it's went quickly. So I, I'll just give you I'll, <laughs> just a couple more questions. Sure. So someone was asking if, and I'll paraphrase these, 
someone was asking if I move from a from a legal role to more of a business side role, they were financial services. Long term, could that be bad? Can that can that be bad for my career if I want to go back to a pure legal role? Great question. I, I get that. I, I get that question uh, frequently. Uh, again, the answer is it depends. Uh, usually, uh, what type of non-legal role it is. Some of these non-legal roles tend to be hybrid legal slash business roles, or where uh, it's it's a kind of outside of the legal department role, but it's a role where you're still using your legal skills, uh, albeit in a business capacity. So I think if it's that type of role, there's less of a risk in being able to return to a pure um, kind of in-house legal department role. Um, I mean, if it's a role where you're moving, you're clearly just moving over to the business side. If you go like you're you're moving from the legal department and somehow you're moving over to become like an investment banker, like pure business role. Um, then I think the calculus there is different. The more time you spend outside of a, the more time you spend in a pure business role, um, the less likely it becomes that you're able to transition back to a legal role. Not because you don't have the skills, although that's a factor, I think what's going to happen is if you want to go back, the hiring manager is going to question why you would want to go back after having been a business person for two years. And they question, they, you know, they have questions about your motivation. Um, and, um, and so it'd be, a, it'd be a heavier lift, not impossible, but a heavier lift. Is it, but I've, I've always read, you'll see these, someone starts out a lawyer and they move, let's say, into, uh, let's say, bankruptcy. And then before you know it, they're like a big shot investment banker doing way better. There is, I guess there's, they may just make that decision. Okay, I might not be able to go back, but weigh it out if I could do really well. And I really, and this is kind of what you said earlier, like if you have a passion for something, you really enjoy doing it, all right, then it might be worthwhile kind of going in that other direction. Yeah, no, you have to, um, and again, any, any of the people who are asking questions are welcome to to message me on LinkedIn, and um, I'm happy to speak with them for a couple of minutes to talk about that stuff. But I mean, at the end of the day, you need to follow uh, follow your interests, and and um, and if you're a lawyer, uh, but you're really interested in a business side role, um, you need to explore that. You need to kind of pay attention to that kind of uh, your intuition tugging at you about that, and and um, and give it a lot of thought and, um, you know, speak to advisors, speak to people like me, speak to a coach, speak to uh, mentors, but uh, you need to honor that, that feeling and, 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 and follow it and explore it and see where it leads you because it's there for a reason and you don't want to ignore it because um, you don't want to be like 10 years later, 15 years later, you know, being filled with regret because you didn't pursue something that you felt follow up on something that you felt strongly about at the time. So um, uh, regret's not a good feeling. Um, I'm with you there. It's always, I'd rather do something, fail at it, but know I've tried it, than kick myself and say, gosh, I should have done this. I should have gave it a shot. 100%. So believe it or not, an hour just flew by, Dimitri. So so any, any last minute advice or guidance that maybe I didn't ask you that you feel you'd like to impart with people? You know, uh, again, thanks, Jack, for having me on. Uh, yeah, it's pretty wild that 
almost been an hour. Um, I'm happy to come back, by the way, <laughs> and talk to you again. No, I, you know, for, for the folks out there who are struggling with, um, you know, make, either making a change or looking for a new role, um, you know, my advice is um, figure out before you jump into searching, you know, websites, talking to recruiters, um, uh, you know, replying to ads or whatever it is, take the time, take a step back and take the time to figure out exactly what you want. Uh, a lot of people don't do that. They don't ask themselves, you know, what do I really want? Um, not what, I, what do I think I want? Not what do my parents think I want? Uh, not, you know, what do I think I can, I can get or settle for? Like, what do I really want? Figure that out. Take the time to really get that clear in your mind. Um, because again, I, my experience is most people don't do that. They kind of jump in without having that foundational kind of exercise done in their own mind. So figure out exactly what it is that you want. And then that's the starting point. Once you've got that figured out, then, then you can try and figure out the strategies to get there. Because um, once you've got the kind of what do I want question answered clearly, then you can begin to aim at that target. You need to have a target to aim at um, first. Uh, it's, it's kind of fundamental. Um, so figure that out first, take whatever time it takes, it could take a week, it could take a month, it could take a couple of months to figure that out. Um, but then once you do have that clear in your mind, then start focusing on that and, and putting some attention on, you know, ask yourself, okay, now how can I get there? What do I need to get there? What resources do I need? Who do I need to speak with? What do I need to learn? Uh, what resources can I dig into, begin to invest some time um, on a weekly basis, like put some time in your schedule, in your calendar and block it off just for the purpose of figuring out like how do I get from point A to point B. And then that's when you begin talking to people like me and you, to mentors, you begin doing research, putting time and attention on your little project. And like I mentioned about the, the, uh, you know, when you start focusing on the red BMW 3 Series, because that's you figured out that's what you really want, all of a sudden, it, everything that you need to acquire the BMW, the red BMW 3 Series, starts coming to your attention. So the information you need and the people you need and the resources you need will kind of come into your field of, of vision once you start focusing that way. And then you can dig in and, and become more tactical and, and, and figure out the, the, the tips and the strategies and and um, uh, so that's my advice. It's really big picture that's, advice before getting into the nitty gritty. Yeah, I think that's the advice story. you should put down on your LinkedIn as, you know, in addition to all the Greek philosophers, the Stoic philosophers, I think you got to kind of start putting your own things because I think that was really great advice. And I, I'm curious in part, and for the attorneys who are watching this, don't, don't listen to us now. Do you think, do you find, do you have so many attorneys that like, due to societal pressure, parental pressure, you know, it's like, okay, we want you to be a doctor, a lawyer or whatever. And they move into that and then they realize, I didn't have a passion for this. I, and then they're making a nice living. They're a partner at a law firm or a senior associate at a law firm making a lot of money. They're like, oh my God, what do I do now? I'm making money, I'm doing well, but I never yeah, really- There's a lot of that. There's a Is lot. There, 
you know, I see that um, I see that on a regular basis. So, uh, you know, many people get into the field, not necessarily because that's what they truly wanted to do, but it was, you know, it's what they, you know they thought their parents would want. You know, we make their parents proud, or um, or they think, hey, that's the best way to make money and make a living. Um, so, whatever it is, like figure out if this is what something you really want to do, whether. Again, big picture in terms of choosing your career, but even kind of smaller picture, if you're already a lawyer and you're happy, uh, but you want to do something different, you know, figure out what, what that looks like first. What do I really want? Like, what kind of job do I really want? What does that look like? And, 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 and figure out why. And, and then uh, once you, you know, once you have a strong enough why, you'll figure out the how. Yeah. Uh, but you figure out what the, figure out the what, really clear on the what, make get clear on your why and then the how kind of falls into place yeah i i would see you probably see this as well from time to time you'll see a resume of an attorney good you know great college great law school maybe law review top law firm in new york two years ish and then another law firm two years ish and then another one and then you you kind of realize i bet you this person just doesn't like it they thought they would like it let me try another law firm let me try another law firm and uh, then they call you and say, maybe in-house is better. <laughs> Let me try that. Because they realize, ah, maybe this isn't what I thought it would be. You know? We could talk for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. This was really, this was really informative. I really like the fact that you were able to share about your niche and what your niche is, a big sector, you know, in terms of placing these senior level attorneys, but also bring it to everyone else, how they could benefit from looking for a job, how to network, what to do, how to how to decide of what to do. These are really important things that I, you know, we don't talk enough about. You know, like we really don't talk enough about. It. It's like, okay, you got to go to college and get a job, but no one gives the advice that you're saying. It's like, all right, wait a minute, let's figure it out. What makes you happy? What's 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 going to get you up in the morning? Where you want to go? So, I think for people who rewatch this, it's some really good, smart, sage advice. And someone who's placed people for you know 15 plus years, so knows what works and what makes people happy, and, and things that you do that aren't going to be so happy. So I think this was really that was a really informative, you know, uh, uh, conversation. So I really appreciate you taking the time, Dimitri. This was terrific. Thank you, Jack. Happy to come back, and uh, thanks for inviting me on. Excellent, my pleasure. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Week Reader Podcast. If you want to check out other great content from WeCruiter, make sure to visit us at WeCruiter.io. That's W-E-C-R-U-I-C-R dot I-O. We offer tons of great resources for job seekers and professionals, so make sure to check us out today.